Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. guys welcome to the knife perspective podcast uh, it's uh, another kyle solo show with chad kimmel of c or summit and c smithing how are you doing tonight chad doing fantastic got a little cocktail and we're gonna we're gonna enjoy our monday night what are you drinking over there uh i made a i'm gonna sound so bougie uh i made a banana rum uh old-fashioned oh that's cool so i fat washed a, a, a rum with some a really good rum with some banana and then uh Use a little bit of oleo for the sweetener and some bitters, and it's really yummy. Well, I'm doing a craftish beer, uh, so it's the Cape Cod Beer Company, their Bleach Blonde Ale. Oh, cool. It says a vacation in every pint. It's pretty good, too. It's pretty light and stuff, but yeah, when, yeah. We, when we were on vacation out in Cape Cod, um, the whale watching boat had that as a local selection, and uh, then we went to the brewery, and I picked up a couple more four packs of it so pretty did you pretty see good. whales yeah we saw a bunch of whales uh probably saw 10 in total uh we saw some humpbacks uh fin way a couple fin whales which apparently are the second biggest whale in the ocean behind the blue whale yeah if you're not first you're last you know yeah they call or apparently that is the first first whale our naturist marine biologist on the boat that was like giving us the play-by-play and pointing out all the stuff she said they call them the greyhounds of the ocean, and she said they can travel 1,700 miles a day. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. That's, that's 1,700's a lot, man. <laughs> yeah, that's like going from Cape Cod to the tip of Florida, so in like one day. In a, in a day. That's wild. Yeah, so... Uh, they know that they feed in the the East Coast area there, uh, but they don't know where they mate. They don't know where they go. Um, they swim so fast that they haven't been able to track them and everything like that. So, um, yeah, crazy. Uh, and then we saw saw some minky whales. Um, they're a little they're a lot smaller compared to the humpbacks and stuff. But the humpbacks were the coolest. Watching them feed, they'd blow the little bubble net, and you'd see the water all change color and then all the bubbles come up and then all the birds swarm over top of it. And then this big mouth come up out of the water. It was so cool. That's wild. Yeah. No, I've, I've never seen a, oh, I mean, I've seen like in captivity, I've seen whales, but I've never seen one out in the wild. Yeah, it was very cool. Ate some lobster out there and naturally. Uh, yeah. was, uh, had some lobster rolls and different stuff. So it was pretty good. Okay. So are you a cold lobster roll guy or a hot lobster roll guy? Um, I like them both, but I think I like the butter lobster roll a little bit better yeah. than the, the, the mayo the ones. Better. Yeah. I, know, I like them both. I had one of each while we were out there. Yeah. The, by far the, we went to, I think it was called the lobster pot. I can't remember. Okay. Off my head in Provincetown, like right next to the uh, main drag there. It's like one of the oldest restaurants there in Provincetown. <laughs> I ended up, 
I ended up chickening out and getting the one and a half pound lobster. Uh, the guy goes, uh, we, the smallest we have is a pound today. And the largest we have is seven pounds. And it was like that seven pound lobster was freaking gigantic. And <laughs> at $60 for the one and a half pound lobster, I can only imagine how much the seven pound lobster was. Oh, I'll be honest. So as, as a lobster connoisseur, I'm not. Uh, but when I used to live in DC, we used to go down to the docks a lot and uh, we get lobster occasionally yeah. and anything over like two and a half pounds, the meat's just not as sweet. Okay. Um, and really two and a half pounds is kind of like the limit. It gets a little rubbery for me. And uh, you did all right by the, like that one and a half pounds kind of a perfect size for me. Yeah. The, uh, apparently the, a lot of the old buffets used to be the the buyers of those big lobsters to like cook it and have it as like a display piece. But yeah, because I was like, how many people order a lobster that big? He's like eh, about three or four a month. Like it's more than I thought. But they have all the tanks and they feed them and everything. So sure. But yeah, cool stuff. So uh, we got our sponsors of the podcast. From our one of our last shows, we got Set Supply, Spencer, Ed, and Todd uh, making a lot of cool different resin handle material and stuff over there, doing a lot of cool things, uh, making a lot of cool slingshots. So check those guys out. We've got Rid Runner Blades. Taylor Grinds is doing a lot of good stuff over there for all your production uh, knives, and you can also get Dogwood Custom Knives there and TM Hunt Custom Knives also um phoenix abrasives is another great sponsor one of my favorite uh suppliers for abrasive belts uh you can use discount code kp10 for 10 percent off your entire order there that includes rhino wet and safety equipment and all the stuff that they sell lots of good stuff we've got jance knife supply also doing a discount for handle material if you use discount code kp grip you get 10 percent off your handle materials there and uh, all sorts of nice jigs and other things, and a really cool file workbook, if I don't say so myself. And our last but not least, Atlas Materials. Dan and Tasha are doing a great job over there, keeping us supplied with all of the uh, Micartas and G10 and all the crazy fiber that you could possibly want. And uh, last but not least, or I guess we were the last but not least, Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can find... Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center. And you can find Dan's Knives at the Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner Blades, like I mentioned before, and Asheville Crafted Edge. And you can find my knives at Northside Cutlery with Kevin Silverman. He's doing a great job there on the north side of Chicago. And you can find some of my knife making tools at Phoenix Abrasives, uh, the Sanding Buddies and Sanding Sticks, and uh, Housemade is carrying my carbide straightening hammer. So be on a lookout for those guys. And uh, for Guild Watch and Knife Shows coming up, I'm going to try to get this up in time for the Idaho Knife Association, their 2023 Traditional and Tactical Knife Show in uh, Meridian, Idaho, August 11th through the 12th. Uh, tickets are $35 for the Friday event where they have hors d'oeuvres and a two-drink ticket. I, I believe this probably won't go out fast enough for you guys to get that. But then on Saturday, they have the open ticket at $6 and can be purchased at the door. 
Cindy uh, Aiken is doing a great job with the social media and stuff on that. There's a lot of cool things going on there. Uh, her husband, Ben, too, uh, I'm sure is doing a lot of other stuff, too. Uh, Nordic Knives is going to be doing ha- uh, a class on becoming a knife collector. What What are some things to look for in starting a knife collection? Russ Dodd is going to be doing a knife photography class for your social media. So how to take good photos for social media and stuff like that. He's RH Dodd on Instagram. And Jocelyn Frazier is going to be taking photos if you have knives to show there or uh, are bringing as an exhibitor. You can have some photos taken uh, by her in person. Um, also, we got the Midwest Knife Makers Guild Hammer in August 18th and 19th in Mankato, Minnesota. Um, a full breadth of people that are going to be there. I don't think I'm going to be able to be there this year, unfortunately. Uh, but they've got Nick Rossi, Jason Kraus, uh, James Fleming, Stephen Hall, Tony Rode, uh, Brian Rungold, uh, Jacob Getz, and Charles Steffies uh, doing different things. You can find it on the Midwest Knife Makers Guild Hammer in. Uh, Instagram and website uh, who's teaching what, but Nick Rossi is going to be teaching forging integrals and knife design, which I would really like to learn some more stuff about. Following that up, we got the Twin Cities Knife Show, September 29th and 30th through the Midwest Knife Makers Guild in Bloomington, Minnesota. All sorts of people are going to be there. Uh, most of the Midwest Knife Makers Guild people, um, I believe Peter Martin's going to be there. Uh, Jess Hoffman, I believe, is going to be there. Uh, lots of cool people. I don't think I've seen an official list out yet for that. And then right after that is going to be Blade Show West. So get yourself out to Salt Lake City. Uh, Blade Show. Great show. There you go. Uh, now that I've been rambling a bit, Chad, you got a shout out you'd like to or some gear you'd like to talk about in the shout outs and gear talk section? Sure, sure. So um, I'll do, I've got a couple of shout outs. One you've already mentioned, uh, Miss Jocelyn Frazier. So Jocelyn Frazier is a wonderful young lady. Um, her dad's a knife maker. She's been around the knife business for a long time. But um, what she does that's kind of unique is she'll take digital photos that you can take off your iPhone. And then she renders uh, the Blade magazine quality pictures from those iPhone photos. And, and that's how she does a lot of that stuff. Um, she's gotten, I've been published two or three times this year now because of Jocelyn okay. and she's, I mean, she does a great job. So if you, if you guys are out at that show, make sure you stop by her booth and, and get some pictures taken. Um, some Damascus. So I, I usually forge my own Damascus, but when I don't, uh, I buy it from Fifty Fifty forge. I know he's got a killer ladder pattern that he's got out right now and he's got just some really cool stuff. And so look for some customs from him. He's awesome. And, uh, he's been doing some mosaic stuff. That's been looking pretty cool too. Dude. He's got, he's got this DNA mosaic that it looks like DNA coming up the side of the billet. It's pretty sick. Um, he's got a, a snake pattern. I think that I have, he randomly sends me like, um, you know, kind of screw around patterns that he's it's like, Hey man, see, see what you can do with this. And, and so, uh, he's, he's a real good buddy of mine, Paxton, all the, uh, I keep trying to call him the, uh, the nine and a third finger forge, but 50, 50 is going to have to do <laughs> nice. Um, and then lastly is, uh, is Mr. Dennis Tyrell. He's got a really cool sharpening system that he has out right there or right now, um, that hooks on to, you know, your average 72 by 72. Um, it's a great, 
sharpener, but the best part about it is that he's got a YouTube channel. He tells you exactly how to install it, exactly how to use it. Uh, he does like, I think he's got some pretty economical um, surface grinding machines too that uh, that you can kind of DIY. That's that's really his niche is DIY. But I think he's got some some finished products as well. And he does man, he does an awesome job. Dennis Tyrell. You can find his uh, YouTube channel at uh, Tyrell Knifeworks. I think I remember Brian House talking about a like twist fixture that he had a plan set or something he was selling for, like some sort of fixture to do twist Damascus. He he could I uh, as as Dennis Tyrell's friend, I have to admit on a, on a podcast that I don't watch all of his media. <laughs> um, I have a hard, it's, I have a hard time watching the YouTube. I've started working out on my elliptical more, so I have some time that I can actually do the visual. But most of the time, it's all just podcasts because I'm listening to stuff. Right. So I work from home on Mondays and Fridays now, and so uh, I have a second laptop set up and I'm running uh, Tyrell stuff. I'm running uh, housework stuff. I'm running um, art of craftsmanship. There's, there's Neves knives. There's, there's a bunch of different channels that just really great guys uh, that I want to support them and I want to, but there's just physically not enough uh, attention span in my body to, to, to focus through all of it. But I, I try to, I try to consume as much media as I can from, from some of those guys. They do a really great job. Yeah. Um, Speaking of the elliptical, one of the guys that's been keeping me company on YouTube is Eric Rivers. He's the the Rivers Experience dude. So Rivers are going to do some stuff. He lives he lives like forty five minutes from me. Nice. I just sent him a big package of stuff. So uh, some sanding sticks, a t shirt, um, and uh, some other stuff. Can't remember, I can't remember all of it I put in there. So, um, yep. And then the last shout out I wanted to talk about is Maritime Knife Supply. They told me about the Norton Norax 936 belts. It's a ceramic structured abrasive, and that has really made grinding magna cut with a belt finish uh, actually possible for me. Ooh, this beer is making me burpy. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, this uh, Norax belt. Uh, when I was using the misting system, um, most of the time I just find the misting systems kind of like uh, make a slurry and clog up the grains and stuff. And it hasn't worked very well for me, but um, these Norax belts have worked really well with the misting system. I don't have to worry about cooking my thin edges um, with the Magna Cut. It's really been working out great. So thank you, Lawrence, for telling me about those uh, six, eight months ago. Every time I use them, I like them more and more so saving you time yeah and unfortunately you can't get the those norax belts through phoenix abrasives uh uh greg has said he's tried to work with norton a bunch of times but norton views them as too much of a competitor and won't sell them belts so kind of crazy i yeah i mean i i get it but and greg's a good dude too i like greg yeah yeah um yeah so, uh, into the interview, I've known you for probably four years, four yeah, five years? three or four years now. Yeah, yeah. three or four I years. I think uh, it was like 2019, 2018, something like that is when I saw you at my first Blade show. Um, you hung out in the pit for a while. You've made some killer like metal uh, business cards that year. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, Chad Kimmel, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, doing good. Uh, it's uh, it's hot here in Texas, and so um, 
which sucks because I've got a bunch of work that I need to get done because I just, I, I just found out that I'm going to be really bogged down, uh, in October, November. In fact, I'm not taking any Christmas orders, um, this year because I'm doing, uh, I signed up to do Josh Weston's, uh, Dragon's Breath Forge. And so the, uh, at the Texas Renaissance Fair. And so it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be fun. I'm, I get to, you know, put a kilt on and teach people how to hit a railroad spike. I get to do, you know, 12 45 minute classes uh, on Saturday and 12 more 45 minute classes on Sunday. And, nice. Uh, and then, and then I get shipped off, but I'm doing it for eight weekends. So it'll be, uh, I say eight weekends. There's one weekend I'm taking off. I'm going to, uh, to, uh, do you know who Matthew Lee is, Forrester? I know of him, uh, but I don't know him personally. Yeah. Good, good guy. Uh, but he's getting married, and I'm, I'm in the wedding party. And so, actually, the same, the same uh, uh, blade show that I met you at was his first blade show. Okay. Um, and so uh, we, we've been talking for a while, but we didn't actually meet at that blade show. We uh, uh, ended up meeting later. But he's a really good guy. Yeah, yeah. 2018 was the first year I actually had a table. Uh, it was a completely different experience from the the five other shows that I this past year was the I've, I'm at the break even point where I've been behind the table as much as I've been in front of the table. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, one, that's awesome. One of the questions we always like to start off with is where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Uh, so you're- technically Heath. Yeah, technically Heath, Texas, but um, but I split time between mom and dad. Dad was in Dallas, mom was in, in Heath, so she was kind of in the country, and dad grew up in the city, so so I kind of got a really good uh, you know, upbringing in both. So you a Cowboys fan? You of course. Grew up in the the heyday of the Cowboys. Uh, you know it's you know it's funny. Um, it's only a little bit funny. Uh, so my dad was kind of, uh, and we don't really have much of a relationship, but he was pretty. He's a pretty violent guy, and so watching sports was really miserable okay. growing up because he's, you know, he's throwing stuff at the TV and he's making a big racket, and you know, there's always something going on. And so I never really liked sports, so I didn't start watching sports until I was 18 and started working in restaurants and bartending. Okay. Um, and I needed something to talk to customers about because I'm an 18 year old kid, and I don't have anything in common with any of the patrons. So I, uh, I used to bring the sports page in, um, and I would read the sports page in the business insider every day. And that's also, you know, a good, a year, that's also a good way to get better tips. Make- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and what was cool about it was I, you know, I started really getting into, I'm like, well, I'm from Dallas. I'm going to be a, I always kind of liked the stars, but I really started liking the Cowboys really started liking the Mavericks really started liking the Rangers. And, uh, so I don't know the Cowboys as a winning team because I was 18, 19, 20 when that happened. And, um, you know, that was 2002 when I turned 18. So, Well, the, the thing that the Cowboys will always have a winning team on is their cheerleaders. So they always have an A-plus group of those. <laughs> I, I have I've got a I've got a couple of friends who've been cheerleaders and they're wow. Um, it's it's competitive, man. It's wild. My my friend Olivia, she was a she was a cheerleader for a while, and then she got bored, so she went to be a rocket. Okay, which is like rare air, right? So yeah. she was, you know, the most the most prestigious cheerleading squad in the NFL, and went to the most prestigious you know yeah. dance squad in the in the world, and yeah. she's just and and one of the most uncommonly kind people you'll ever meet in your life. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, growing up, do you remember? 
uh, you said your mom kind of lived in the country. Do you remember playing with knives? Do you remember your first knife growing up? Or Yes. The very first knife I got was a, um, it was like a, I think it was by Spyderco. It was in, called an Eagle II. Um, and it was half serrated uh, and then half straight edge. And I remember um, carving my name in a Aspen uh, when we were on vacation. And I was young. I was probably 10 or 12. And I, I remember putting the knife, uh, the point of the knife, into like the webbing of my hand and, uh, and poked a big hole in me. And I was bleeding quite a bit. And, uh, and I struggled hiding it from, from dad and mom so they wouldn't take my knife away. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, I remember cutting myself somewhat bad with my Swiss army knife, but, uh, it was like when I would close it, the thing would like snap closed and I wasn't smart enough to keep my, my fingers out of there every time, which I don't understand why the boy scouts, uh, want you to have non-locking blades and no fixed blades. So I, I don't know if I'll ever understand that, but something that's always been in, in their rules so i just taught a knife making class or excuse me a knifing class to the boy scouts um and they uh they let me bring in a bunch of different kinds of knives and kind of explain the difference and how to sharpen them and how to take care of them and um it was it was pretty cool so my daughter is uh she's a cub scout and um and so that was you know kind of interesting too so it was a lot of fun yeah, the I've always or I like what the the Boy Scouts do, but that that one it it doesn't make any sense because all your kitchen knives are fixed blades, but you aren't allowed to have a fixed blade on your belt or right. whatever. So <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, to get away from that political drama, uh, how how did you meet your dogs, and why are they better than people? Uh, so my my first dog that I owned as an adult, his name's Sergeant Pepper. Uh, he's a Weimariner. Um, and we, uh, we got him from a, uh, um, oh God, a breeder. Um, and he is, uh, he's just a 90 pound asshole, man. He's, 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 he's good people, but he's, he's a big jerk. So we call him the counter terrorist, uh, because if it's on a counter, he'll, he'll get to it and he'll eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but my, my ex has him now. And then I've got, uh, I've got a little labradoodle that is, uh, He's just a big, dopey, dumb dog, and he's just sweet as can be. And, uh, you know, he he's just a sweetheart, but he's but he has zero. I don't know that he knows his name. He's just very <laughs> stupid. Yeah. Our we have a, a dog, Lena. She's a yellow lab uh, pit bull mix. And uh, we just recently found out today that she is allergic to bees. So she got stung a few times and had uh some welts and stuff all like popping up and stuff and in less than five minutes after it luckily my wife was able to get her get her over to the the vet quick enough they gave her some meds and stuff so she's not anaphylactic but uh something we're gonna have to keep an eye on her so they they gave us these benadryl tablets that if she ever gets stung again we're supposed to try to give her two of those and as fast as we can and will your dog eat them uh, she eats just about anything, and especially if you put it in some cheese or peanut butter or whatever. So, yeah, no, my my dog will eat around the the pill and and spit the pill back out. He's he will not take if it's if it comes to a situation like that, he's dead. I know he is. 
there's no way there's no way we're going to be able to have you ever had peanut butter filled pretzels i have uh biting one of those off and shoving it down into if it's small enough to shove it down into the peanut butter uh that's usually a good pretty good way to trick them into that's that that's not a bad that's not a bad idea yeah we've got like peel pockets and stuff like that what we've done um i've frozen it into like a piece of peanut butter before he's just he just spits it back out okay and we use we use peanut butter balls as like treats. So, so when he sees the treat, he thinks of it as a treat, and not a pill. Mm-hmm. He still he still knows the difference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I love dogs. They're they're some of my favorites. But I wish they would live longer. Uh, so. Oh, for sure. We don't we don't deserve dogs, man. They're uh, they're awesome. Yeah. Um. So um. You want to tell the the folks some of the some of the kind of knives you make and some of the style of work you do? Yeah, so I do um, I do only culinary knives. Um, I've thought about doing a couple of um, you know bird and trout knives, some, something that can go along uh, that same uh, mindset of culinary knives. It's it's not that I have anything against any other knives; I just don't make them. Um, and so, uh, you know, as, as a fat kid, I, uh, I cook a lot. I grew up kind of working in kitchens and, um, working in restaurants and, uh, that's kind of where I, where I learned how to, how to cook. And so when I started making knives, um, I was with a bunch of guys who made, uh, buoys and fighters and skinners and all these other kinds of knives. And I just was not interested <laughs> And so yeah. I asked, I was like, Hey man, do you guys know how to make kitchen knives? And they're like, yeah, sure. We can teach you how to make a kitchen knife. And, uh, and then turns out they didn't know either. Um, <laughs> so, so I went and took some classes from some pretty smart guys and, uh, off, off we go. But yeah, so I do, <clears throat> um, a lot of kitchen knives. In fact, I'm about to do three big runs, uh, of kitchen knives. I've got a butchery that ordered 40 knives from me. And then a, a barbecue place that ordered 20. So the butchery and we're all doing, you know, they're all customs. Um, so I'm doing a design process with the owner of the, uh, the butchery. And then I'm doing a design process with the owner of the barbecue place. We're going to, um, it's essentially 40 brisket slicers, 20 for the barbecue, 20 for the butchery, and then, uh, 20 bony knives. Okay. And, uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. I'll probably be calling you asking about how you do batch work and <laughs> um and and things of that nature. We're doing all AEBL. I'm not screwing around with uh with high carbon on the um on these runs. Uh but it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I know a lot of people really like AEBL. I still have I have a few bars of it, but I still have never used it. Um I don't not exactly sure why. I bought it, but it's been been sitting over there so never never pulled the trigger yet i I like abl um it's it's relatively inexpensive um as far as stainless goes um i got a run of kitchen knives done chef knives stayed in chef knives done in abl um and i typically like i heat treat all my own stuff i do everything but in, in large batches like that i just i send it out to get heat treated i think i did peter's um i'm gonna do bucks next time mm-hmm. i uh wasn't super pleased with some of the things that that peter did to uh to make sure the stuff was straight so we're gonna try bucks next time but mm-hmm. um but yeah so that's that's kind of what i what i do um i started doing frame style handles um 
right? I sculpt my handle like you would normally sculpt a handle, but uh, but I put some pretty wood and sometimes some color wood down the center. Um, so I've got you know the 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 outside jacket, if you will, is, you know, I usually do like some coar, some really pretty walnut or something along those lines. And then down the center, I usually do bog oak or um, something green or blue or red or something kind of sexy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Um, it, as a fellow culinary knife guy, I really, really like doing those the best. I was really disappointed when I um, went to order some more nine inch PSA discs for my disc grinder and uh 3m has stopped making their 900 dz uh disc and nine inch in the nine inch size so uh Uh gonna have to figure out something when i'm finally out all those so uh i don't know how i'm gonna make a knife without my disc grinder now that i use it so much uh just it helps make getting a flat grind with the distal taper and everything just so much easier and making hand sanding that much easier so, yeah, I, um, I've got a magnetic chuck disc grinder. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's great. Uh, I've got a one degree bevel and a zero bevel, but I use my one degree almost. I've got several, um, you know, disc in the one degree. Um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He's Nielsen. out of, uh, out of Canada. Nielsen. Nielsen. That's, yeah. Yeah, the same thing um, I have. Is it? Okay. I, it's a, that's a great product. Yeah. I had three discs. And now I've got six. So nice. Well, he <laughs> he said um, we had a real long conversation, and and I wasn't expecting it to be. You know, when when you call the guy, I, I expect him to be really busy, and you know, kind of want to get off the phone. But we ended up talking for like an hour and a half, and uh, and he he found out that I was uh, I used to be active duty Air Force, and then my at the time she's my ex wife now, but she's currently active duty Air Force, and so he sent me a couple of free discs. Okay. Um, just kind of as a, as a thank you, which was super, super cool. But, um, but that one degree bevel is where it's at. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, what I did with mine was I cut the, um, I cut the plug going into my RFD for my grinder and I, uh, put in a female plug. So I've got a male plug coming out of my grinder into my RFD and I can unplug that and plug in a male cord coming out of my, um, disc grinder into my, or VRF rather. VFD. Um, VFD. <laughs> I'm getting all the, all the letters. QRS. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, but, uh, um, out of my VFD. If you were military, you love, or the, they love those acronyms. The acronyms. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm, and I've been, I'm, I, I can't do a conversation with somebody about acronyms today. We just talked I, and my brains, uh, drinking rum. So yeah. there was an awesome acronym when I was at Cummins, uh, there, there, uh, yeah, you were <laughs> the, uh, uh, at Cummins for their, uh, reviews and stuff. It was the performance management system, uh, the PMS. Nice. <laughs> so people would write PMS on their calendar and uh, apparently some people had issue with, with that. It's like, sure. Then they changed it. I don't, I don't remember what they changed it to, but it was no longer the performance management system. So that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's funny. So uh, I don't remember. Are you a member of the ABS? I am. Yeah. So I am, uh, I am up for my journeyman. Um, I was supposed to take it this year 
and I just got bogged down. Um, so we're going to shoot for it next summer. Um, I've got some, uh, I've got some really cool pre-World War II 01 uh, that I'm going to make. I'm also going to do all of my journeyman knives as uh, culinary knives. Okay. I don't, I don't know if anybody's done all culinary knives before, but that's what we're going to do. I think I've heard of people doing that, but it's pretty fairly rare. So yeah, culinary knives are where it's at. I wish more people would yep. do it. Um, I, I was, uh, so I got my voting membership for the knife makers guild in uh, Atlanta this year. And I, saw, uh, yep. I was like, uh, I told Todd beg the president. I'm like, can we do a, a kitchen knife? category because it's like it's like all the slip joint guys and the best buoy and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like uh basically everything that is made in texas so um <laughs> yes sir yes sir yeah so uh what's the what's the abs process been like for you um did you did you do one of the classes to take a year off before the journeyman or no, I, I've just waited the time. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I mean, I've taken, well, I'm supposed to take a class with Lynn Ray soon. Um, but I, I've got, I've taken classes with journeymen and masters before. Um, and, and I'm friends with, you know, certainly plenty of them. And so I'm, you know, I'm constantly picking Jason Knight's brain and I'm constantly picking some of these guys. Um, even, and even some of the guys that aren't, but, are certainly of that caliber, you know, um, like, like Salem Strop. I kind of, I try to pick his, his ear every, every chance I get. And, uh, I send him, I send him pretty wood sometimes and he'll talk to me for a little bit. Yeah. I bribe, I bribe people for, (laughs) you know, for, for information and stuff like that. Um, you'd be surprised how much information I get just handing out beers at Blade Show in the pit. So that's, that's, that's a solid, that's a solid move. Um, (laughs) I know you had the you had the pizza. I ate some of your pizza uh, after you were gone at like four o'clock in the morning. Okay, yeah. it was still down there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was the move, man. Um, I don't know if I'm going to plan on leaving to go to a restaurant unless uh, Dan does his dinner again. But um, that was the move. Like um, we got on, I think it was Grubhub or DoorDash or whatever. And there was a local pizza place. I think it was Bella's pizza or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, we just put in our order and told them to give us a call when they got to the doors by the elevator. We grabbed the pizza when nobody had to drive anywhere. Nobody had to, because you're all exhausted, especially on Friday. Um, That's really where it catches up for me. Um, All the, the extra hours and stuff and then driving down and setting up and, uh, everything. So, um, that's the move, man. And then, uh, Brian house, uh, had barbecue ordered and brought in on Saturday. Yeah. So I, I, I may or may not have, I may or may not have started that. Yeah. So, um, last year, uh, Brian house had, um, a big, uh, Airbnb with a bunch of guys down there. And uh, I kept trying to get, I'm like, Hey dude, let's do barbecue. Let's do, I bugged the, the crap out of them. I'm like, Hey man, let's go, let's do some barbecue. There's, there's this place that I go to every time I go to Atlanta, it's called heirloom barbecue. And the, the owner is an OG Texas barbecue guy. So it's, it's brisket. Like it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, but his wife is Korean. And so they're like Korean smoked wings and like kimchi, mac and cheese. And like, 
just some really cool flavor combinations that work out really, really well. Um, and so we did that last year at the Airbnb with Tyrell and Pickle and some of those guys. Um, and then this year, he just did a, a big thing in the pit. And so, yeah. Uh, so he's like, "Yeah, dude, bring some people." And so we we all went down there. And that's um, I'm a I'm a big networker. It's kind of if I do anything good, that's probably what I do best. But I brought Jocelyn Frazier down there, and um, and this kid Zoltan. I say a kid; he's a grown man. But this kid Zoltan came up from Florida, and he's a brand new knife maker. But he's going to do some great things. He did um, uh, his first time making Damascus. He decided he was going to do it by hand, which is great. Uh, but he feathered it by hand, which is a really impressive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy's got a really high mechanical IQ, so so stuff like that makes sense to him. And um, but he just got this little paring knife that he feathered, and it's it's really cool. He cast all of his uh, handles around his knives, which is oh. interesting. I haven't seen anybody do anything like that. Yeah. Um, it just makes sense to him to do it that way. Yeah. So that's the way he does it. And uh, and yeah, no, he's a, he's a good kid. But I got him out there and introduced him to some people. I think. Actually, I probably brought him by you. Uh, yeah. I think you gave him a beer. Yeah. Real tall kid, um, but his name's Zoltan. His uh, freaking Zoltan, man. Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to remember everybody in the pit after uh, everything during the day. But oh, for sure. There's a uh, one really cool uh, guy in the Midwest Nightmakers Guild that's been casting lures like in the handle. Um, that's been super cool, and he'll like do little jigs and stuff. Um, so it's like down close to the tang. So, and like clear resin over top of it. It's super cool. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I used to do that with, I made uh fly fishing or fly rods and, uh, and something that I would do where the, um, where the rod normally you've got like a little dot that you line your, uh, your rod up with when you're piecing it together. But instead of that dot, what I would do is I would take, um, uh, the side profile of a fly, I would take all the materials to make the side profile of that fly and I would put it, uh, you know, facing. So they face it on each other and that's how you line it up is facing those. So if it's, you know, if it's a nine weight, I'm doing like a shrimp pattern. If it's, you know, a five weight, I'm doing, you know, some sort of nymph or something like that. Huh. But, um, but I'm doing those profiles on the side of the, of the rods. That was, that was a lot of fun. People really got a kick out of that. Yeah. I, I, I've always romanced about the idea of fly fishing, but I, I feel like I'm going to like hit myself in the face. <laughs> you probably will. Um, I, I've done it, um, especially weighted flies. Like I've smacked myself a couple of times in the back of the head and the front of the head. Um, I got chased down by like an eight foot bull shark once. Wow. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I learned how to fly fish in saltwater. Okay. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't Brad Pitt or anything, but you know, okay. Whole river runs through it. Reference, nice. Uh, it's a great movie. <laughs> um, so, how have you found your own voice as a maker? Like you mentioned, some of the the frame handled stuff, and um, like some of your your style that you do. Um, it's you know, it's it's interesting. I feel like it's always kind of ever evolving. Um, I I take a look at some of my favorite makers and, uh. You know, the Moreco Mamasis, the um, Joshua Princes, and some of those guys that I, I kind of started idolizing when I first started making knives and um, the Dunwins and people of that nature. Um, and and I try to um, 
innovate's the wrong word because we're just making sharp pointy things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I try to combine as many ideas as I possibly can uh, in, into a knife. And so, um, you know, Paxton will tell you every time we get together to make Damascus, it's always um, the planning process takes twice as long as the forging process because we we try to take a, a concept like feathering um, and then we try to push it as far as it goes, you know, as far as we can push it. And uh, so this year I did, um, I did a, my very first feather knife, but um, instead of seaming it back together the way you normally would with a feather, I flipped it. Um, and so it kind of met together in the center. We put a piece of 15 and 20 down the center and, uh, and then I forged it out, but it was just a really, really unique pattern. And, um, and the W's that we crushed, you know, we crushed, we forged on a bias, then we forged on a bias again. And so it was kind of like this, this vine of W's that we feathered and it, it just, it turned down this really wild looking pattern. And, um, and so I, I look at those guys and I, I just, I ask what if a lot and, and then I, you know, you can't be scared to break it. So you try to try to push as far as you can until you break it. And I don't know how many knives I've um, started as two, uh, you know, two and an eighth tall or two and a quarter tall and end up at, at two inches because, because I, I tried to go too thin or I tried to, you know, um, tried to get too far with an S grinder or whatever the case may be. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Jerry Fisk was the the first person I heard say inside every 12 inch buoy is a three inch paring knife. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the the guy that I I first started learning from his name is Dan Graves. Dan uh Dan's just he's, you know, he's he's an old school guy and um but he always said knife makers don't make mistakes, we just make smaller knives. Mm-hmm. And uh and Dan Dan's a good Dan's been doing it so long. His website is the knifemaker.com. Yeah. Yeah, Dan's been doing it a long time. Nice. That's very cool. Um what are some things that you've been able to do to kind of set yourself apart as a brand? Um, is there anything you've been doing to kind of like differentiate yourself in the culinary scene? So I, I try to work with chefs and, uh, and I've got a couple that I'm, I'm, I'm working with. Um, John Tsar really comes to mind. Um, I made a knife for him and we've kind of talked about it some. Uh, he owns a restaurant called Knife. Um, John Tsar is just a, a really good guy. And so I try to take uh, feedback as far as um, I tend to make a, a really light chef knife. My eight inch chef knife is typically sub six ounces. Um, I just made a, a, a nine and five eighths uh, chef knife that is two and an eighth tall and it's uh, right at 6.2 ounces. I mean, I, I typically make really light knives. Um, and they're just, you know, thin grinds and, uh, you know, you put a lot of effort into stuff like that, but on doing um, the frame handle, it's amazing how much just that little bit of metal in the handle, uh, takes out for weight. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> so things, things like that. And then I just give them stuff to try and I've got, um, the, this butchery I was telling you about, um, I was just, actually, I just had a sandwich. Dude, they've got this, uh, um, a balsamic glazed, uh, pork belly BLT that's just out of this world, but their, their food's just phenomenal. And they do these, you know, these wine pairings and stuff like that. It's a, it's a very like food forward place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, 
and and they've got a butchery in the back too, so you can come in and like you know have a meal and then walk out with the steak, which is kind of cool yeah. to to go home and cook with. And um, but I'll I'll go and I'll drop knives off there, and they they kind of play with them and let me know what they think. And you know we talk about things like food release, we talk about things like um uh, like effort uh, to like push through things, um, longevity as far as like hey man, when when you deal with home chefs. Um, the chance of them having to cut through, you know, 30 pounds of onions in a day is pretty low. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but some of these, these other guys, you know, so I I try to, to make comfortable knives for guys like that, because I know that if I'm making knives for guys in the field, uh, that home chefs are going to be really happy with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a, a handful of chefs buy, buy some of my knives and it's always been like very nerve wracking you're like, they haven't said anything. Should I check in with them? <laughs> yeah, but, always, always check in. Yeah, my, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's funny. I always joke that, um, that chef knives or chefs know a lot about knives uh, and know very little about sharpness. Um, it just doesn't. It's the way that we measure sharpness and the way that they measure sharpness are very different things. Um, and so it's, you know. If you told them, oh, this is a toothy edge, no, not all chefs, but like a lot of the ones that I've talked to, um, well, this is a really toothy edge or this one's a really fine edge. You know, I mean, you try to to walk them through and they uh, sometimes it just kind of goes over their heads. So yeah, it's a uh, um, it's kind of kind of interesting, you know, when when you talk to people who you you would assume that they would know this thing and uh, and that's that's not where they're supposed to be really smart at that's where you're supposed to be smart at so it's kind of yeah interesting so like you can have a knife that's like super sharp uh but the edge is too thin so like slicing tomatoes and stuff it just doesn't work uh which is crazy to me how it can like shave hair off your arm but can't cut through a tomato skin and then one of the things that always still boggles my mind is the plastic for like when you buy like meat like um where they like seal it the not, cellophane. not the not where it's actually like wrapped in house but like the stuff that comes from like an actual like butchery place um right you like cut through it and then uh you like can't can't hardly cut through it but then it leaks freaking <laughs> everywhere <laughs> like how does how, <laughs> how can you like i don't get it how it, it like seems to always leak but then you can't seem to cut through the plastic at all yeah so yeah. So, I mean, ultimately I, I try to, I try to make a knife that I would want to use, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and I, I cook a lot, man. So, um, I'm, I'm a, I'll get, I'll get a little weird on you. I'm, I'm a big ethical cooker. Okay. Like I, I buy, um, you know, a whole, uh, you know, rack of, um, a ribeye. And so we'll do, you know, primal cuts and, and I'll dry age them and I'll do stuff like that. But I buy them from local places. I'll buy whole chickens and I, you know, I butcher them and I portion them and I, you know, put them in the freezer and I, you know, cook as I need to. And I try not to, um, I try to ethically eat protein. Um, I feel like right now, especially, you know, in your grocery stores, I can buy, uh, a chicken breast for cheaper than I can buy a bell pepper per pound. Mm-hmm. I think there's something kind of wrong with that as far as our agriculture goes and things like that. So I try to, I try to kind of back off some of my meat consumption, but we, you know, I mean, we still eat meat for most, uh, you know, most meals of the day, but, um, but we kind of back it off. So instead of having an eight ounce chicken breast, I might split that, 
you know, a couple of different ways and have some leftovers for lunch. And... Yeah. Yeah. As we get older too, like, uh, we can't eat nearly as much and not, uh, balloon up and wait. It's part of, part of why I'm getting back on the, uh, the old on the elliptical. So um, I'm, I'm right behind you, man. I'm, I'm, uh, got a gym membership and I've been going a couple of times and need to need to do it more, but yeah. my, uh, my fat butt needs to be not so fat. It was a really funny meme that I saw either the today or yesterday, but it said, uh, I'm teaching my son to cook. So he's not impressed by your Stouffer's lasagna. That's funny. <laughs> your daughter's Stouffer's lasagna. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. That's, that's funny. <laughs> I saw, I saw something very similar. It says, um, it says I'm taking, I'm taking my daughter traveling. So she's not impressed by you buying a, um, by you buying her a ticket down to Houston. Okay. Um, nice. It's, it's, well, it's funny. So I, I do that with my, my daughter's a, a big deal in my life. And we, uh, I mean, she said she just did her 38th state oh. um, that she's been to. And so, which is, you know, pretty, pretty big. We did Hawaii. We just did our, took her to her first concert recently back in May. Went to a concert up in Arkansas. Took her to go see Dave Matthews. Um, that was a, a wild story. So we made, um, I'm a big Dave Matthews fan. And we made a big poster. Said, hey, Dave, um, it's my first show. Play Rapunzel. That's her favorite song. And so, uh, she's eight, so she's got head, you know, she's got ear gear on and stuff like that. And we had just lawn seats and I somehow sweet talked my way down to the pit. And, uh, and so we got pit bracelets and we were down there and the people that we were waiting in line with were also down there and they waved us over and they said, Hey, we saved you guys a seat. And, uh, and so we're, I'm probably three rows of people behind the front and they say my daughter a spot right up front so she's right on the rail the whole band interacted with her they gave dave gave her a guitar pick and signed her poster and you know all that kind of stuff that's awesome so yeah so i i try to i try to go out of my way to make sure my daughter gets to experience some really cool stuff and yeah yeah it's a lot of fun yeah it's pretty cool yeah the teaching teaching people how to cook and stuff um like it, it boggles my mind. Some, some people that I know that just don't cook <clears throat> and it's not that they just know how to do it and don't do it, which I can respect a little bit more, but the people that like literally have no idea, it's like, have no idea, yeah. like, um, literally have to like, like it says, uh, a half a cup of parsley and it's like, Oh, I don't have parsley. I can't make the thing. It's like, yeah. like which one's parsley yeah <laughs> like you can do a, a yeah. number of different things to substitute for that but um yeah. one of the things that's super funny with our boys is uh my wife te- is and i are teaching them to cook also um but my wife like she's one of the only people that i know that like reads cookbooks like front to back every page reads the whole thing and she's done it for mm-hmm. like it's probably over 100 cookbooks upstairs and um but she also likes to watch chopped and top chef and all these food judging things. So, uh, it really aggravates her when, uh, they're like, I don't feel, I feel like this is overcooked or <laughs> they start critiquing mm-hmm. her. <laughs> She's like, shut up. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yeah. No, what we, I mean, we teach our daughter too. Mark, my, my daughter, she's, she's eight and she's got her own chef knife and she does, um, her favorite thing to cook. Uh, or to make is sushi. Okay. And so, um, and she does like, you know, 
she'll get the loin of tuna and she butchers the loin of tuna and she she does all the sushi cuts with with uh with our knives here and she i mean she's she's a baller man she she really enjoys cooking and she um she gets weird with it man uh so you know when we go to a real nice restaurant she asks for the tasting menu and things like that. i mean she's you know she's uh yeah. i'm i'm trying to ruin men for her is what i'm trying to do yeah yeah they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna have to pay <laughs> oh, for sure for sure yeah. For sure. One of the things that uh, my wife saw uh, that we've actually done quite a bit lately is the sushi bake, where you uh, uh-huh. do the the rice, and then we usually like to do shrimp and some like spicy tuna, um, and sometimes do salmon and stuff on there too. But then, yeah, you kind of just like spoon it into like we cut a the nori into like four pieces and just kind of put a little bit in there, and you don't have to. <clears throat> I love sushi, but like making it at home, like. It takes so long, and then it's well, and it seems shady too. So, like, you want to make sure that like you've got sushi grade products, mm-hmm. and um, and what a lot of people don't understand is that doesn't mean fresh fish. That means frozen fish mm-hmm. um, has to be uh, has to be flash frozen for it to be sushi grade. But um, but yeah, no, we uh, we we like the sushi bakes. We do a lot of pokey, uh, like pokey bowls. Yeah. Um, if you can find it, there's this really cool. It's like everything bagel seasoning, mm-hmm. but it's like everything sushi seasoning. It's got like um, toasted sesame seeds. It's got nori. It's got um, crispy garlic pieces. It's got crispy ginger pieces. It's kind of like an everything bagel, but for everything sushi. Okay. And so we do that on top of our bowls and stuff, or our sushi bakes, or whatever. Yeah, that's very cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah. One of the things that I had always seen a bunch of is this uh, that Japanese barbecue sauce brand uh-huh. um yeah my wife's gluten-free so we never got it but now they have a gluten-free version and it's mm-hmm. like i had forgotten how much i love teriyaki sauce and that's like what that japanese barbecue sauce tastes like and we've sure. used like or i have used like a third of the bottle already <laughs> so yeah. Uh, um yeah so we we make our own uh it's just it's it's really easy we do soy sauce honey uh couple of dashes of fish sauce and um uh you cook it down a little bit um and then you know you can sweeten up with some more honey or, or whatever and back it off uh do a splash of mirin um splash of rice wine vinegar and good to go yeah. but that's that's the kind of stuff that we do and yeah for whatever um, reason we um, don't we don't really do stuff. much teriyaki but uh yeah i'm definitely planning on adding that to our repertoire of stuff Hey man, if you if you sous vide, take some of that teriyaki and put a put a steak in a bag, um, and sous vide that in the in the teriyaki and uh, give it a nice quick sear underneath a broiler or something like that, and it's money. Yeah, that's something that's been interesting. Like I've tried to get my wife to to do or do like a sous vide thing for a, a Christmas present for the last couple of years. She's got like every kitchen gadget in the world, including one of the ones that I hate the most the the air fryer. Air fryer. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like it's an oven that's a pain in the it ass is. to clean it's, it's a it's a um a convection oven that's all it is yeah. it's and it's not even a good convection oven it yeah. only goes up to 400 degrees and yeah and stuff sits on top of each other and just doesn't work but mm-hmm. um whatever so um i've been like we should try this like i feel like you would love it and she's like nah <laughs> like so dude sous vide sous vide you can make so what's cool about sous vide is when you're cooking steaks for instance 
uh, you can do a really easy reverse here. Mm-hmm. Um, now ribeyes, you don't want to cook them too much because you don't want to um, you don't want to break the fat down too far. But um, but strips and fillets and things of that nature, throw them in there. Um, ribeyes too, but you don't want to cook the ribeye more than like three or four hours. But okay. cook it to 120 degrees, um, and then you pull it out and let it rest. Let it come to room temperature, then give it a sear. And the best part is, is because I'm going to get sciencey. Um, so you've got the Mylar reaction, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where um, the proteins are, or the sugars are converted into proteins. That's what gives it that brown. So you're going to pull it out. It's going to look gray because you're not hitting that Mylar yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you let it rest. You let it come to room temperature. Um, in fact, a lot of restaurants, that's how they do it. They they cook you know, below the Mylar. They keep the steaks warm. Um and then when they cook them off whenever they're ready, and that's how they can cook them off so quick. But um, because you've let it rest before you've seared it, you can eat it hot and not worry about the juices flowing out. Mm-hmm. So so you can cut right into it nice. versus having to let it rest after you've seared it. So because you've already let it rest between the uh, the cooking all the way up to 120 degrees. Yeah. Give it a sear, bring it up to your you know 125, 130 uh, so you're right at that medium rare, medium, or excuse me, medium, medium or rare to medium rare. That's kind of where I like mine. But um, I'm getting hungry. Again. But yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, you you done you done screwed up. You got me talking about food, man. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll send you I'll send you a copy of uh, of John Tsar's book. So John Tsar's interesting. He um he came up with Anthony Bourdain. Okay. Um and uh, in fact he's mentioned in Anthony Bourdain's books, which is really cool. Um. Really, really interesting guy. He got his first Michelin star at 65. Wow. Um, which was just last November. Um, and the guy's just, he was on Bravo's Top Chef. He was on a couple of TV shows, but he was on Bravo's Top Chef. And uh, I think he was one of the finalists. I don't know if he made it all the way, but, mm-hmm. um, and he's done, he's done some really great things. And, and he's, and he'll tell you about it in his book. He's kind of found a way to kind of piss it all away. But it looks like he's, He's there to stay now, and he's kind of got it together. And he was a picture of one of those chefs that comes in and makes everybody lives miserable and screams at him and does all that stuff. And I think he's come away from a lot of that stuff now. And so, but in his book, he's got a whole chapter on on knives and and stuff like that. So kind of the Gordon Ramsay style of yelling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, except it was probably a little more violent. Okay. There was, Gordon there was a really funny video I saw recently of Gordon Ramsay when he made uh, Pad Thai for like this. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And the guy like took a bite of it. He's like, this is it. He goes, well, what do you think? He goes, well, do you want me to be honest or do you want to know what I think? <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is, this is, this is not even close. So. Like, this is, he's like, it's, it's just not Pad Thai. <laughs> yeah. Although Gordon Ramsay, one of the funniest things I think are those memes where it's not stuff he actually said, but like all the different things. This chicken is the stu- raw. The, the stupid sandwich <laughs> yeah. where, where he put the he put the bread on behind yeah. or bus, beside both of her ears. Why? He says, "Look at you, you're a stupid sandwich." <laughs> yeah, Why did the chicken cross the road? Because you didn't cook it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. So he's funny. Uh, what's your What's kind of your favorite technique for for making some of your kitchen knives? You mentioned the the disc grinder and some S grinds and stuff. What what's uh... so I like the disc grind. So my my big pro tip, um, I uh, contact Phoenix Abrasive, um, and I got an ultra fine um, two by seventy one inch belt. Now it's 
essentially what I'm doing is um, I'm it's called soft backing. Mm-hmm. But what I'm what I'm doing is I'm doing a poor man's um, rotary platen. And so I put my uh, my AO belts over the two by seventy one so that inside diameter of my uh, AO belts meets the outside diameter of the two by seventy one, um, and then I put that on and uh, and so essentially I my belt progression is um, thirty six uh, sixty one twenty uh, on ceramics, and then I do one hundred. Or 120 on uh, on AO, 220, uh, 400, and 600. But my 220, 400, and 600 are all on um, soft backing, um, and so it gives me really nice appleseed edge. Um, it takes off a lot more material than you think it would, but because there's a soft back behind it, it's taking off all the peaks and leaving nothing but valleys. So when it gets time to to hand sand, uh, there's a lot less work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's kind of what I do for all my flat grinds. Um, it works out really, really well. And uh, Greg's been, you know, every time I, I call Greg, I'm like, hey, I need another belt. He's like, man, you know, I hate making these, right? I'm like, yeah, I do. But, <laughs> but he'll make them for me anyway. So is that the, like a Scotch-Brite belt you're putting behind there? Yeah, it's okay. Scotch-Brite. Okay. Yep, ultra, ultra-fine Scotch-Brite. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Greg's an awesome guy, The them and Sean or him and Sean being right next to me at blade show is, is so much fun. Like, uh, Oh yeah. You get the first pick of the belts. <laughs> uh, I call them up and, uh, I usually have them just bring me a box of belts anyway, but, um, yep. yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know if you've talked to Sean very much, but he's got like Mm-mm. a lot of the like deadpan face a lot. Yeah. And, Two two years ago, uh, I guess my dad thought Sean was like pissed at him. <laughs> so uh, it took until Sunday when they made up. So uh, that's funny. he was like, "I think Sean's mad at me." I'm like, "Why didn't you tell me this like earlier?" And I'm like, "Are you mad at my dad?" And Sean's like, "No." <laughs> and they're like, "Okay, we're good." <laughs> Sean's like, "Who's your dad?" <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a, he's at my table a bunch. So. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, I messed with your dad a couple of times this year. I come by and I'd start, I start messing with your knives and he's like, he's like, well, no, no, don't. And I, I just start asking him questions that, you know, just to kind of mess with him. I'm like, no, Kyle's a buddy of mine. He's like, he's like, Oh, oh okay. Okay. I thought you were, <laughs> and just, I like to, I like to mess with people at Blade. It's my favorite thing. This is my first time um, selling knives at Blade. Mm-hmm. So I, um, my, one of my, I say my sponsor, they're, partners i don't know what to call them uh, wicked wax um they become really good friends of mine and, uh they wanted me to come work their booth with them and uh gave me a spot to sell some knives and so um i brought four or five knives down i brought five knives sold two of them um i sold that uh that feather one that i was talking about that's the most expensive knife i've ever sold um and uh and i didn't think i was gonna sell it and this kid comes up to me and he's thumbing the edge he goes so what you just don't you know, sharpen these before you get here. And I'm like, uh-huh. I was, I was super pissed, but I, I kept it together and I took a piece of paper and I was, you know, carving S's in the piece of paper. And uh, I'm like, no, I mean, it's pretty sharp. I was like, it's just, it's a polished edge. It's not a real toothy edge. And he was like, oh, okay, well, here's the money. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, uh, you know, yell at the guy or anything because it could have been bad. Um, 
but yeah, no, he bought the, he bought the knife and uh, I did a collaboration with Josh of all trades and we did a, a, a really kind of low layer ladder crush W integral that turned out really cool. Um, it was kind of a chef, kind of a petty. It was just, just shy of a chef, but just larger than a petty. So okay. <clears throat> it was, it was a really cool knife and, um, you know, paid for, paid for the room and board and some belts and gas money and got to take home a little bit of money. So it was good. Yeah. Yeah. Bleach was always really good. Um, I usually spend quite a bit of money at Nicholas impregnated wood, but they weren't there this year. So, um, that saved my pocketbook a little bit. So there you go. <laughs> are you coming to play? Are you coming to play Texas? I don't think so. Uh, it's just come on. Yeah. With, being the my kid's primary caregiver uh trying to have to make sure that they they are there so mama can go Bring them. do her school thing well it's Bring them. yeah they'll be or there's seven year olds so they're gonna be yeah perfect we'll see well i don't i don't think per- so. perfect well it's in, it's in my backyard man we'll take care of them <laughs> yeah we'll get the we'll get the listen i've got a tree we can tie them up to yeah I'll probably, That's fine. I'll probably pull it down, man. Those things, those little, those little guys are strong. <laughs> little, little hellions. Yeah. Uh, no, that's that's cool. So Blade Tex is the only place that I pay for a, I pay for a table. I'll I'll go I'll go work tables for Wicked Wax if they want me to. But, um, but Blade Tex is the only place that I pay for a table. Yeah. And so, and just because it's in my backyard, you mm-hmm. know, it's uh, an hour and fifteen minutes from me, and so yeah, I go do an Airbnb or something like that, and or stay at the hotel or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh get to hang out with some of those guys get to hang out with hunter and the crew so yeah. that's always fun yeah i need to make it to blade show texas i really want to go to blade show west since it's more culinary focused but uh, is it yeah is it still cold that's, so knew... that's what they're still trying to have it be well then i don't know why they moved it out of california uh uh california is the reason they moved it out of california i i understand the prop the problem with well Maybe maybe move it to Vegas. I don't know. The, I guess my point is there are more Michelin stars uh, within 120 miles of where they were having it than anywhere in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so you you'd think that like it wouldn't be that hard to get a couple of celebrity chefs down there or or something like that to do some some culinary competitions and things of that yeah. nature. I don't know. I just yeah. Well, California or from from what I've gathered, California was the reason they uh, couldn't do it, and then Las Vegas was. Uh, there was you got the they couldn't find the kid or whatever they couldn't find a venue for the the time that they wanted um, that didn't overlap with Atlanta. So, I mean, everybody that I talked to said Utah is awesome. Yeah, and they said they said the show the show the show in Utah is just really really great. Yeah, Dan was there um, last year and he said that it was really great. Uh, except the the liquor law being in Salt Lake City was a little different since goofy. it's like yeah all Mormon stuff. So. Yeah, Matt Matt Gaskill, who makes just an incredible product, is one of my neighbors yeah. out here. He's he lives he lives down the way from me, um, and so he uh, he has a table there. He does a table in Texas, and he does a table out there. And um, he said it was a blast. Yeah, so. yeah. Dan didn't read his uh, ticket for the pit thing that he bought a ticket for bought tickets for at oh, Lake no. Show West. So he he got there like thirty minutes before they like were shutting the thing down. So, oh no, <laughs> he went out See, to that's, dinner. That's what I love about Blade is I mean I I'm there till four o'clock in the morning sometimes. 
Yeah. I usually have to tap out at like one thirty, especially on Friday. Uh, the last couple of years I've taught my file work class in the morning. That's right. Uh, eight o'clock or being ready at eight for the class at eight thirty is, um, that's brutal. Yeah. Gotta, gotta be, gotta give the people what they paid for. For, for sure. Um, where do you see yourself going with, uh, knife making and stuff going forward? You have any, yeah, so, any ideas? Sonacy smithing is, it's a passion of mine. Um, I, I did it full year, one year or full time, one year. Um, I don't know if that's something that I want to ever do again. Um, I, I like being able to do it, but I don't love the hustle that you have to have to, to keep it going. Um, cause you're kind of on an Island, you know, yeah. um, managing cash flow yeah. is very hard. Exactly. And, and I do, I do a pretty good job now. I, I put, you know, I put money in escrow. Like I've got a separate escrow account that I put for, for deposits for customs and stuff like that. Like that's kind of how I do things. Um, but it's just not fun. That piece isn't fun for me. And so I, I want to keep it fun. I want to keep it light. So I think I'm going to, uh, um, you know, continue my career and, uh, you know, make this year. So I've, I've got a couple things. I want to get my, my TikTok above a thousand. So I'm at like 850 right now. Um, I want to get the TikTok above a thousand. I'd like to get Instagram above 10,000. I'm only at like 2,500 for Instagram. And then I want to get my YouTube channel up and started if, if I can make revenue off of those and still make what I want and still take the customs that I want, maybe I consider going full-time knife making, but, but outside of, of something like that, I don't think that I would really be interested in doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The Instagram is one that is, it's been hard for me to like get followers. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time and uh, I had one, one of my videos go viral it was my, my only one that's like really gone viral. And, uh, it was like at two or last time I checked it was like 258,000 views. Oh. And I got like 1100 followers, like from that video. Wow. And uh, other than that, it's like uh, five or six followers a day. So um, yeah. <laughs> occasionally we'll get one that'll get a few more than that, but uh, it's hard to like know which ones are going to grab and shoot. And uh, sometimes like, um, I posted one this morning and, um, it got a ton of comments and stuff right off the bat, but it just like the view count never, never went up. Never so, got there. Yeah. yeah I, um, I'm just awful at posting content and it's something that I need to like, I, I just need to do. I think it's like the self-loathing art artist in me. Like I, everything that I like, I'm like that, that sucks. I'm just not going to post it. Mm-hmm. And like, I do, I do the work. I take the pictures. I just don't post it yeah i've taken and it's so dumb i've taken a lot of like stuff like that and like you'll have like three or four pieces of content and i'm like i should i should wait to post that tomorrow and then i just never end up posting it (laughs) yeah no i complete i completely uh i can relate to that in a big way um yeah no we've got i mean shit i've got a whole phone full of stuff that i need to I've got, I need to post to make content for, and I just don't, I've got dramatically more knife photos than anything else on my phone. So <laughs> for, like, for sure. Can I see a picture of the boys? What do they look like? I'm like, uh, <laughs> they're in here. So- Quilted maple. They're in, yeah. they're in here somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, so one of the things that you were really involved with, do you want to talk about that now with the, the fundraiser and, 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, last week, was it last week? The other, um, Bob Rankin on. Yeah. We had Bob on that one should get be posting here in a couple of days. Uh, I've got to finish editing it. Perfect. So, um, so as, as everybody's heard from the Bob Rankin, uh, interview, um, myself and, uh, Dennis Tyrell and Paxton from 5050 Forge, I uh, got together and we decided we were going to do a, uh, a charity knife for, for Bob's family um, to kind of help with some of the, when you lose a loved one like that, there's so many economic expenses that you don't think about. And, um, you know, they're having to move and there's, there's just a lot involved. And so, um, you know, I was, uh, I was an 11 year air force vet. Dennis Tyrell's son is in the Navy and, uh, and Paxton, is just a really good buddy of mine, so I so I got him in on it too. But I've got some steel from Tower Two, uh, which is really special stuff. Yeah. Um, and then Dennis Tyrell has some aircraft cable. Um, it's a it's a rester hook cable. So when when aircraft land on um, on Navy ships, they have to catch this this cable that helps them slow down. Uh, and this hook comes down, but this cable's like two and a half inches thick, and you know there's a rope in between, and the rope's like lubricated and stuff, so the cable yeah. stays yeah stays lubed up. But because when you land on an aircraft carrier, you like when they hit wheels down, they go full throttle because if they miss all the cables, <laughs> yeah, because if they miss the, cable, the water, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, it's it's that that added. Uh, that age old additive, like, uh, I don't want to limp away from this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So they, yeah, when they, when they do it, they go full throttle. So, um, but anyway, so he's got a part of that arrestor hook cable. Uh, he forged the arrestor hook cable down to pinstock okay. uh, and made pins for these two knives. Um, I sent him way too much steel. So the whole idea behind this, um, Bob Rankin's son is a, uh, um, eight and a half year Navy vet who unfortunately lost his life to suicide. Um, and being an Air Force veteran, being somebody who struggled with um, you know, depression and, and has been in, in those specific shoes getting out of the military and, uh, and having to deal with some of that stuff really kind of hit me hard. Um, so uh, so the, the Damascus that we did was, uh, it's called Bacon Damascus, but um, we took 22 layers of... Um, 15 and 20 and 1084. And then we sandwich that, uh, 11 times. So, um, so you've got 11 layers of 22 and then 11 layers of 1084 that are alternating. And so it looks kind of like a flag. Um, it's hard to explain, but it looks really cool. Yep. And then in the very butt of it, I, uh, I forged some, um, some steel that I got from Dan Graves from tower two, which is really special. Dan forged the pins out of uh, a rester hook cable that came off the uh, the USS Eisenhower. Um, that's where his son works. He's in the Navy. And then um, we also got something from a guy named Lucas. I'm going to forget his name from Grizzly Forge, I believe. Um, he gave us uh, some white oak, white ash, white ash. Um, there was a, George Washington, uh, it was the last tree that he planted on the, uh, on his Mount Vernon plantation. Um, and so, uh, unfortunately it's not very pretty wood. So we use this kind of liner material and did some, uh, some tiger, some blue dyed tiger maple on the outside. Um, and then with kind of the, the waves of the, uh, of the Damascus and, and the waves of the, the liner 
Um, the tiger maple just looks really, really cool. Dennis did two knives because I sent him, we just sent him too much steel, but um, which is never a bad thing. I don't think anybody's ever complained about yeah. getting too much steel. Better but, to have too much than not enough. For sure. So he did a um, a K tip and a Santoku, and we're doing a, we're doing a raffle now. That raffle is going to go through August thirty first. Well, you're um, selling you can, tickets, not a raffle, right? Or you're, right. you're selling so, stickers. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so what <laughs> we're doing is we're selling. Thank you. So we're selling we're selling stickers. Every sticker that you buy goes to. Um, get you one spot to win the knife yeah. um, and then we'll do uh, we'll do the drawing on September 1st uh, I'm going to fly out to Bob's place and we're going to do the drawing out there um, but so if you go to www.bobrankincustomknives.com go into a shop there's a sticker it says uh, Robert Adam Rankin on it and it's a cool sticker that uh, Rocco from Rocco Handmade um, his tattoo artist made the sticker um, and so we're going to get some printed out once it's all said and done. Um, and, uh, and all the proceeds are going to go to Bob's family. Um, and then kind of whatever's left over, they've got a GoFundMe going as well. That's kind of picking up some steam and Dennis Tyrell made a video at Tyrell Knifeworks on YouTube. Um, and that's really special. Jocelyn Frazier, um, who I've talked about like 10 times now, uh, she donated the pictures, um yeah. and so uh i know bob yeah. said that the go a lot of the gofundme money is going to go to there was a cat warrior's way well there was a cat um where his oh where that's right yeah the, that's right cats from so that is that's right yeah so his his son his son had a had a real soft spot for cats and uh and i think he um he adopted a couple and so yeah. uh they, they found a, a charity they're gonna do and um you know yeah. bob's I believe that's where he Bob's, where he uh, he uh, adopted them from in it is in yeah. Washington or I think it was in Washington D.C. or something like that. May have been in, oh. you know, I I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, Bob's uh, Bob's he's just a really good friend of mine, and and when I say Bob is the best of us, Bob is, you know, he's just one of the, he's just one of the best guys that I know, and so when when tragedy like this comes to their front doorstep it's uh it's up to us to to stand up and support and make sure that um you know you know you're loved you know that we're we're here for you and yeah it's a special knife yeah they're special couple special knives. couple yeah. special couple of knives yeah yeah so all the the link in there will be there uh in the in the show notes so uh and don't have to worry about writing it down but yeah um it's very cool yeah dan and uh bob were we're talking about some of that stuff and uh yeah dan dan got a little choked up with uh bringing back some memories and stuff when he got out of the army so um yeah, yeah man it's 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 tough i was in the air force for 11 years and uh <clears throat> my wife and i were going through you know a tough time anyway and uh i remember feeling so alone and you know all the veteran organizations everything that's out there they're they're still not in your home you know Mm -hmm. and uh and i just i just remember feeling so alone and um you know and the military does a a really kind of crappy job of transitioning you back into the air you know back into the real world and uh i 
I remember not knowing what I'm going to do. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? You've got all these unknowns. It's overwhelming, man. And yeah. uh, Dan said that so, uh, he went from having five guys that wouldn't just uh, die for him, but would kill for him to true. not having anybody. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I can't even imagine um, any of you guys that are out there that are listening that want somebody to talk to. Uh, you can always give me a call, send me a DM. I'm sure, uh, Chad's the same way. So absolutely. Hashtag me too, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, it, I, I loaded bombs and missiles on planes, which is a wild job. Um, but we loaded nuclear weapons. Like there's a level of trust there. That's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of some next level stuff. And so, um, you've got this really tight knit community and then the next day you're gone and you've been replaced on that crew. They're going to move on like you were, you know, and it's, it's not that the people forget about you. It's not, they don't reach out or anything like that, but, but, you know, the air force is going to move on without you. The army's going to move on without you. They're all going to, you know, you're, you're a small cog in the wheel and the, in the big wheel. And, uh, and when you're replaced, you're replaced. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be, a lot of work to be done when it comes to mental health of veterans and, uh, and the kind of people that we led in the military and the kind of how we let them out, how we kind of re-release them into the wild. And it's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. So I, I get involved with um, stuff like project healing waters, which is a fly fishing group that I, I, I love to fly fish. So uh, I used to go um, help run a chapter in Tampa and we taught veterans how to uh, tie flies and we made rods and we took them on a trip and you are know, always trying to, keep the community going. And that's, I think that's probably the thing that and if you ask anybody who's gotten out for the most part, uh, they're going to tell you they miss the people the most. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I could tell you, I could tell you a hundred goofy stories from just stuff that we would get into, whether, yeah. you know, we were deployed or whatever the case may be, but all the um, characters you meet. It's like... Oh man. I, I know, I know a guy who doesn't speak a language, like not fluently. It's not a joke. Like he, uh, he got hit in the head with a shovel when he was ten, and fell asleep on a concussion. Okay, and has a permanent speech impediment, but it sounds like broken English. Hmm. And so, uh, because he grew up in in an area of town that um, they just threw him in ESL classes. Okay, and so he never got like a great grasp on the English language. Huh. And uh, and it sounds like he speaks broken English. And his last name's Ramirez Hyphen Ocala. And uh, if you ever come across this guy, I'm, you'll you'll know that I'm not kidding. But it's uh, it's it's wild, man. And he barely speaks English, and that's it. And he loads nuclear weapons on the aircraft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so many, so many. Uh, so it always amazed me how, uh, in the military, like literally all walks of life ended up in some of these units and stuff. So really was a people say melting pot but you really become forge a lot of relationships with people that you wouldn't probably normally talk to absolutely uh when i on my last deployment i was there with um we had some guys from california guard and some guys from new york guard and um one of the guys in the new york guard i mean he used to be in a gang like that's it's you know it's wild stuff yeah. and uh and the california guards are all surfer guys and and then we're all hanging out together you know so it was a 
there's a really wild mix of people. And, you know, you always, in every place you go, you're going to have like a different group of friends. It's not like, you know, the place that you were at before. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's there. I don't miss my day to day of the air force, but I miss the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people can say that for a lot of different things. It's a, there's a, um, I saw a video recently that people said part of the reason why people missed or said college was one of their best times was because they could walk everywhere. I'm like, no, you had all of your own age demographic that you spent all of your time with. Like you, that's some of your closest knit community friends and stuff. It wasn't because you walked places. It was because you lived like right next door to everybody. And then sure. once you get out of college, then you start having to drive to to people. And some some of them are hours or plane flights away, so you don't get to see them literally every day and go to eat meals with them every day and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about with community too. Like I, we always joke around. Every deployment that I've ever done, I've always had a deployment husband there, and it's it's mm-hmm. just you've got that one best dude friend that that you meet and yeah, your work wife. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but but nobody ever says it's never spoken. It's never it's just one day you're like, "Hey man, we're going to hang out every day on this deployment." And they're like, "Yeah, but it's not it's just a thing that happens." Mm-hmm. And um it was it was funny so on my on my last deployment we were in Jordan um which was super interesting. I got to go to Petra, I got to go to the Dead Sea. Um but one of the things that I always do on deployments is uh I'm a musician, so I like to play uh, guitar and whatnot. And so I always run the church band. And even though I'm not a religious person, it's something I always do. Um, and uh, this past trip, we had a guy bring his own saxophone hmm. and which is a weird thing to bring on a deployment. But if you bring your own saxophone, you're usually pretty good. And this guy was awesome. Yeah. And, That's uh, a pretty and big so instrument to have to lug around. Well, he brought a soprano sax. Uh-huh. So it was kind of small, but, but even still it's, yeah. it's, you know, having, having to bring the case around and stuff like that. But, um, uh, so me and my buddy Seth, uh, we played kind of whatever instruments needed to be played because every week, you know, somebody else comes like, hey, man, I play guitar. I'm like, cool. And so, you know, I'll switch over to bass and Seth will switch over to drums or, you know, we kind of, you know, do whatever. So we had a couple of musicians that are pretty versatile. But um, but I get to take the entire uh, worship group, which is like 12 of us, uh, down to the River Jordan and do a um, a full service at the baptism side of Christ. And I'm, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a religious person, but like, it was a really powerful thing. And, uh, and you can see the Israel side and people were, you know, getting baptized on the other side while we're doing our service, which is really cool. Um, and there's, you know, they've got like marble stepways that are going down to the river and like ours is like a mud hut that we're in, <laughs> like <it's> straw, <laughs> like a straw roof with like mud everywhere. It was, yeah. it was a very, uh, um, uh, I guess they they think differently about those two things on different sides of the uh, on different sides of that river. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was really cool. We we also got to do a uh, I did a six mile hike up a river to a, like a sixty foot waterfall. Yeah. And uh, dude, it was it was a blast, man. So uh, that's also why the Air Force is best because when we go when we deploy we deploy to really cool places and you know, we have to worry about getting shot at or anything like that typically. And, <laughs> you know very cool um so is there anything else you wanted to plug anything else you wanted to talk about before we i don't I don't know if i have any any other questions 
No, man, I'm 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 good. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for uh, for letting me come and talk about uh, the the knife set that we're doing for Bob. Um, make sure you uh, you go check out the YouTube video uh, Tyrell Knife Works. Um, if you're uh, if you don't like to or if you don't want to make Damascus, but you want to buy Damascus, uh, look up Paxton from Fifty Fifty Forge. That guy's awesome. He makes some really great stuff. It's super affordable, um, too affordable if you ask me. Yeah, um, we need to get him a rolling mill so he can start making some stuff more in kitchen knife thicknesses for um, guys that don't forge. So he'll he'll make it in, in the thicknesses that you want, but he yeah. leaves the he leaves the uh, the scale on. Um, which doesn't bother me. I, I take it to a, uh, to a surface grinder anyway, but, um, yeah. uh, or, or I forge on it. I, one of my, one of my big flexes with Paxton is that I'll, he'll make me a say in my billet and I'll go and I'll forge it. Um, and he's like, man, you keep the core in the center. I'm like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta practice good forging, man. But, um, uh, Paxton makes some great stuff, but that's sneak peek. That's Paxton's next, uh, you know, big purchase is the, uh, is the rolling mill and that may be something that we're doing together. So yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about that. He does, he does some great stuff, but that rolling mill will be sweet. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, go check Paxton out. And anytime anybody needs a good knife pick, Miss Jocelyn Frazier is, uh, is your girl. And, uh, and she spells it a little goofy. It's J O C E L Y N. And you can tell her, I said, she spells it goofy. Um, but she, uh, I took her and her mom to Waffle House for the first time at Blade. Wow, they'd never they'd never been to Waffle House before. They're from you know Montana, yeah, and uh, they don't have them there. And so, uh, what, so we went to a Waffle House, and what they think it was pretty funny. Um, you know, it was it was it was actually a pretty good Waffle House, yeah. uh, the one that's right across the street from Blade. Um, so it was, it was a pretty good it was a pretty good Waffle House, a pretty good experience. They fairly tame. They had, they had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, well, it was Sunday morning, and so it was all knife makers in there. Okay. They were just hung over, you know, so it wasn't anything, anything too crazy. And we went to like 7 a.m. We didn't go at two or three o'clock in the morning when you would typically, when you really want to go see some shit. Yeah. Uh, that's when you go. That's I, when you go. But I don't, or, uh, at Blade Show, I don't really eat breakfast at all. Usually still like not really feeling like eating anything from the night before. Yeah. Usually, usually what I do at Blade Show um, is, uh, this is the first time that I've stayed at the hotel, at the Waverly. Um, okay. so normally I have like an Airbnb or something. Um, and I'll stop by McDonald's and I just go get, you know, 20, uh, sausage biscuits from McDonald's or something. And I bring those in. I just hand them out to, uh, to random people because, um, because let's face it, we're, we're at Blade Show. I mean, if we sell knives, that's great, but that's, that's not why we're there. We're there to hang out with our friends and yeah. and, and drink and yeah. and uh, and have a Make good those time. Connections. So, yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Curtis Wright, um, the Woodman or the Woodman's Pilot, I believe is his Instagram name. Um, he's like uh, one of the most uh, well versed guys in Ethan Becker's knives. Like he got like super into them and has like uh, a good history of all of them. Um, but yeah, he, he stopped by and delivered me, delivered me a bagel on Sunday and he brought some Chick-fil-A biscuits on Saturday, uh, when we were, when we were there. So that was pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. So I always try to do that, but this, but this year, like I said, was my first year, like actually having to be at a table. And so, uh, and some of, and we were also covering Bob Rankin's table, Mm -hmm. uh, too, which was, um, you know, we were, I was pretty fortunate to be able to, to just tell Bob. 
and man, he's such a, he's such a good guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so that's, you know, that's, that's what I like to do. Um, how'd you like just being able to get in the elevator and go up to your hotel room? Uh, it was, it was fine. Um, I, so one night, Saturday night, yeah, I guess it was Saturday night. Uh, one of my clients, um, lives in Atlanta. And so he invited me out. And so I didn't get back to the hotel till like midnight, mm. um, Saturday night, but, but yeah, it was, it was fine. I, I was up so late every night that, um, and I usually am, uh, but, but I didn't have to worry about being sober or anything like that. So I, uh, I, um, I went kind of hard in the paint on Friday night, went kind of hard in the paint on Saturday and, uh, and, and drove home. Uh, it was a long drive home on Sunday. Did you take the, did you make the whole drive on Sunday? No, we, we drove to my dad's house in Southern Indiana on Sunday. Okay. And then, yeah, we usually get there at like eight or nine o'clock and then, uh, spend the night at my dad's house and then, uh, drive the, the rest of the way the next morning. It took me about, uh, so it's an 11 hour drive for me. So it's 12 hours getting out there with the time zone change and then 10 hours coming back. So I think I left, I left a little bit early though. Um, I think I left at like, I think I might've left right at two. Okay. And so, uh, I got, I got home around midnight. Um, yeah. Have work the next day. So, wow. <laughs> I can't, that's, that's rough. Um, there was some thunderstorms and stuff that were scheduled to come in. So we started packing up a little early. I usually try to leave everything up until the, the last bit, but, um, yeah, just didn't had no interest in trying to load my truck when it's thunderstorming. So luckily we got out of Atlanta before the, the thunderstorms got there and we were North of them. Very cool. And for those of you in Texas, come see me at, uh, at the dragon forge experience. Um, that'll be really cool. Uh, Josh Weston made these forges, uh, that look like dragons. They're freaking sweet. And, yep. uh, they're big and, they're they're super big and it's got the it's got the hundred pound tank that's you know uh seated in the middle and it's uh it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool experience. So I'm really looking forward to that and that'll be a lot of fun camping out, doing Renaissance Festival things, which I've I haven't done since I was a kid, so it'll be fun for me. I, I you know I I'll have my daughter out one weekend uh to go do it with me, but all the other weekends it'll just be me. So I'm I'm camping and uh, you know, bringing a cooler and all that kind of stuff. So it'll be fun. Very cool. So where can people find you? So you can find me on Instagram at Summit and C Smithing. Uh, it's Summit and C Smithing. Um, Und and then underscores in between all those. Underscores in between all those. Uh, you can find me on TikTok at Summit and C Smithing 1. There's no underscores. Uh, and then my YouTube pit, uh I posted one short story, but my two YouTube channel is going to be going here pretty soon. And, uh, that's at summon and see smithing. Okay. So try to try to keep it all, uh, all on one. And then, um, my website, summon and com. So very cool. Yeah. So you can keep it up for the podcast at knife perspective.com knife perspective is the, uh, our, our name on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find us anywhere. You can listen to podcasts, um, thank you for a couple people that let me know that our, uh, our RSS feed got a little messed up. So apparently it was only showing the last five, uh, in all of those. 
got that fixed now. It's showing uh, up or the last thousand. So we should be good for a few few years. Um, there you go. <laughs> and you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives at dogwoodcustomknives.com, Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And you keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives at cagedailyknives.com, Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Threads now. And I believe that's all of them. Have you have you posted much on Threads yet? I've done a couple. Uh, I think I've gotten like two likes per per post. So I need to I need to look at Threads. I have not messed with it yet. Yeah, I I wanted to to just or grab my my username at least uh, to make yeah. sure somebody else. So um, get, the, get the handle early. Uh, I was KH Daily on Instagram for a, quite a while, and then. I was cage daily knives and other places. So I tried to um, standardize it, but KH daily is uh, there's a game called kingdom hearts that apparently some guy like grabs all of those like really quick. So nice. um, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, but got that or K- nobody's fighting me for cage daily knives. It doesn't look like so. Not trying to buy, not trying to buy that, uh, the rights to the name or anything yet. Yeah. All right. You want to say good night, Chan? Hey, good night. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Well, let's take it to the edge. Cause that's what's expected. In this discussion, this is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're going to talk about.